Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Out front next, a major allegation. Israel saying there is a Hamas commander center hidden under a children's hospital in Gaza. And tonight, we take you inside the hospital to see firsthand where Israel says it found weapons and evidence it says that hostages were also being held there. Plus, breaking news, Trump lawyers on tape tonight telling prosecutors in Georgia that Trump said he was, quote, not going to leave the White House even after he lost. And an out front investigation this hour. The Chinese government is now going after people on American soil just for being critical of China. This investigation is coming just before Biden meets with the Chinese president, Xi Jinping. You'll see it here first. Let's go out front. And good evening, I'm Aaron Burnett. Out front tonight, a war to the end. That is the defiant message tonight from the Israeli Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu. He insists Israel will not let up in its assault on Gaza until Hamas has been eliminated. As the fighting continues, though, the civilian casualties continue to climb. And tonight, Gaza's largest hospital, Al-Shifa, is still caught in the middle. That hospital complex is massive, uh, as you can see, spanning many blocks, more than 10 acres. Thousands of people are seeking refuge there. You can see the camps in courtyards and parking lots. This is a satellite image, so you can see how even the spaces between the buildings are being used as refuge. A U.S. official telling CNN that Hamas has a command center underneath the roughly 12-acre complex. Now, that, of course, is what the IDF has been saying. The head of the hospital, though, tonight denies it. Here's what he told reporter Shlomi Eldar, the Israeli journalist whom we've spoken to a number of times on this program. Shlomi asked him whether there are Hamas tunnels under the hospital. They are saying that the hospital is besieged because of the tunnels under it. This is untrue and inaccurate, and I am the manager of Al-Shifa Hospital, and I call any institution in the world to come now and investigate this issue. Any institution in the world. Well, to be clear, as of yet, there are no visuals of a Hamas command center underneath Al-Shifa, which is the biggest hospital in Gaza. But the IDF today did take reporters to see the basement of the Rantizi Children's Hospital uh, north of Al-Shifa. The IDF showing reporters evidence of Hamas command center there. They say they also found a number of weapons in that basement, as well as evidence that hostages has been held there. You're looking at footage uh, that our Nick Robertson uh, was able to take going into what uh, the IDF says was where those weapons were being held. Uh, It's pretty incredible to see this footage. Uh, Again, goes in with the IDF so he can show you what he's seeing now. Obviously, they're saying that hostages were also kept there uh, at some point, and then they had evidence of that. So that's what you're looking at right now in these images underneath that Al Rantizi Children's Hospital, uh, where Nick was today, along with other members of the press, taken in by the IDF. And what you see there below ground is obviously destruction and deeply disturbing, if it's a mosque command center under Children's Hospital. We, we don't know what's underground, all these hospitals. We do know that what's above ground inside the hospital walls are horrible situations. 
Outfront obtained this voice memo from Dr. Marwan Abusada. He is the head of surgery at the Shifa Hospital. And here's what he had to say. We don't have electricity, we don't have uh, water, we don't have even the food. And we are afraid that in the middle of the night we don't, we lost the electricity to the main ICU and to the neonatal ICU. So this is the issue now in Gaza. And we have a lot of uh, killed people and we would like to bury their uh, bodies. But it is an, uh, uh, sadly to say that it's very dangerous. There are explosions in the background as he's speaking. And Dr. Abusada went on to say that they tried to dig a mass grave for their bodies, but he says their machinery was attacked. And, and, and look, these situations, no matter the specifics of exactly what is happening, because it's very hard to get actual eyes on it, never mind eyes that are not being monitored by one side or the other. It is the situation for the human beings truly seeking refuge in that hospital. It's horror. And it is this grim, sorrow-filled reality that President Biden was asked to comment on earlier today when a reporter asked about hospitals in Gaza. The hospitals in Gaza, have you expressed any specific concerns to Israel on that, sir? Well, uh, you know, I uh, have not been reluctant in expressing my concerns what's going on. Um, and it's my hope and expectation that uh, there will be uh, less intrusive action relative to the hospital. The hospital must be protected. Biden went on to say that negotiations are still underway, he says, for a pause in fighting in order to release the 239 hostages. Uh, hostages that, according to the White House, do include a three-year-old American whose parents were both killed by Hamas during the October 7th terror attack. Jeremy Diamond is out front live along the Israel-Gaza border. And Jeremy, what is Israel saying tonight about Hamas's connection to where we just saw that footage, right? That footage was underneath the Rantizi Children's Hospital. Uh, our crews took it, right? So that's where they were. They were allowed in there by the IDF, but uh, they, they were able to take those images. What, what, what is Israel saying this is underneath the hospital? Well, Aaron, I think first it's important to understand the context. I mean, for weeks now, the Israeli military has been laying the groundwork to uh, go after some of these hospitals, claiming that Hamas is operating from within and underground, as well as around a number of these hospital complexes. They have shown uh, what they claim is evidence of rocket launchers and uh, uh, tunnels uh, in the vicinity of several hospitals. They have claimed that one of uh, Hamas's largest command and control centers is underneath Gaza's largest hospital, uh, Al-Shifa Hospital. And today they are now showing uh, what they uh, say is weapons that they found in the basement of uh, Al-Rantisi Children's Hospital. Uh, they show in a video and they show showed our Nick Robertson as well, uh, uh, weapons including uh, 8K-47s, RPGs, what they say are explosive uh, vests, uh, improvised explosive devices, etc. They also say that they found a room that they believe may, may possibly have been used to hold some of those Israeli hostages. They found women's clothes, they found ropes, uh, and uh, a room with curtains uh, perhaps designated to uh, for, for videos that Hamas has filmed of some of these hostages. They also say that they found near the hospital, about 200 yards away and near a school, the entrance to a tunnel, which uh, they claim was used uh, by Hamas militants. Of course, it's hard for us to independently verify a lot of this, but they did bring in uh, our Nick Roberts into this hospital to show him what they found. All right. And, and obviously, you know, as we're talking about, you know, it's hard to know exactly what, what happened underground and what we're really seeing. But there's underground and then there's above ground. And underground, above ground, of course, no one can dispute 
um, the, human, the human pain and agony that is going on in those hospitals and elsewhere. I mean, the, the hospital system in Gaza truly at this point appears to be on the brink of collapse, doesn't it? No, we are absolutely watching a hospital system collapsing under the weight of war. Uh, we have watched as at Al-Shifa Hospital, power outages, shortages of medical supplies, food and water have led doctors to try and uh, take care of patients using flashlights. We have watched as they have wrapped premature infants uh, taken out of incubators because a nearby strike took out a generator, wrapped those babies in foil and blankets to try and keep them warm, putting them next to warm water. This is absolutely a dire situation at these hospitals, and we're watching the same thing play out at several other hospitals, including Al-Quds Hospital, which says that it is uh, no longer fully operational effectively. And uh, today, earlier today, my colleague Karim Khader uh, spoke with the Director General of the Palestinian Ministry of Health uh, in Gaza, who said that it, you know the doctors at the hospital don't want to evacuate because what are they going to do with the hundreds of patients? He said some of them are in intensive care, some of them are amputees. How do they want them to leave? Aaron. All right, Jeremy, thank you very much. And in a significant escalation against the United States tonight, Iranian-backed groups conducting at least four more attacks on U.S. forces in the past day. That brings the total number of attacks on U.S. forces to at least 52 in just the past four weeks. These attacks, these latest ones, coming after the U.S. hit targets tied to the IRGC, the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps. Alex Marquardt is out front. And Alex, what more are you learning tonight about this? Well, Aaron, it it is not clear uh, whether this message of deterrence by the Biden administration is working. Right now, it does not uh, appear to be so. And and so it is raising the question of whether the Biden administration is doing enough to deter these attacks against U.S. forces, whether the Biden administration is doing enough uh, to prevent this conflict from broadening out from beyond just uh, Israel and Gaza. Now, this latest strike by by the U.S. forces uh, in eastern Syria was the third in as many weeks. It hit uh, a training facility, a safe house uh, that is linked to Iran's Revolutionary Guard, as well as uh, as other uh, groups that are, are linked to Iran. Um, there were some casualties, we understand, but the Pentagon is not clear on who, exactly who uh, was hurt or, or who was killed. But this follows, Aaron, uh, more than 50 different attacks against U.S. troops, as you mentioned, over the past few weeks since October 7th. And directly after this latest strike by, uh, by U.S. Uh, jets, there were four in quick succession, Sunday night into Monday morning, these Iranian-backed groups uh, using a combination of rockets and drones to go after U.S. and coalition forces yeah. uh, in, in Syria. Uh, this has resulted over the past few weeks in more than 50 U.S. troops uh, with varying degrees of, of injuries, including some two dozen with traumatic brain injuries. Now, our colleague Arlette Sines of the White House uh, spoke with the National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan about these strikes against Iranian groups, early, Iranian-backed groups, I should say, earlier today. Let's take a listen. Our goal over time is to ensure that our forces are protected and that we respond if we get hit. That is what we have done. That is what we will continue to do. And this should be measured over the course of time, not over the course of 24 hours. So again, Aaron, this is not just a question of whether Iran is being deterred and their groups from striking against U.S. forces, but whether the U.S. can prevent, whether the U.S. message is getting through to groups like Hezbollah, like the Houthis, who could really expand this conflict in a very dangerous way. That is a major fear of the Biden administration, Aaron.
All right. Thank you very much, Alex. And, and certainly sobering numbers, 50 troops with injuries, two dozen American troops with traumatic brain injuries as a result of what's already happening against U.S. troops in the Mideast. Out front now, Seth Jones, his analysis of the conflict is being extensively used by the U.S. government. He's the senior vice president at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. And Seth, I want to ask, get to those uh, strikes against U.S. forces in a moment. Uh, but first, this uh, command center, the U.S. now, the U.S. So this is not the IDF, although, you know, I don't know where the U.S. is getting any information, but they're putting their own name on it. <laughs> they're in premature. And they're saying that Hamas has a command center under the largest hospital in Gaza, the Al-Shifa Hospital. You heard uh, the hospital's director deny that. What have you learned about Hamas's connection to that hospital? Well, Aaron, uh, my conversations with uh, U.S. government folks today uh, <clears throat> indicates that the U.S. does believe that there is a uh, at least a, a Hamas command center and possibly the storage of some material underneath the hospital. Uh, it's not necessarily large amounts, uh, but there, there, is, uh, there, there is some Hamas infrastructure under the hospital. So that is what the Israelis look like they're targeting. Obviously, the suffering we're seeing in the hospital itself is significant and concerning. Right, right. But I think it's important, as you say, uh, that, that what you're hearing is that, that it, there is a, a command center of sorts, but not necessarily large amounts of, of material there. Um, all important. Um, but but you, <clears throat> you point out about the tragedy in the hospitals themselves. President Biden is saying that hospitals must be protected in Gaza. He's using those words explicitly. Uh, then that brings us to that children's hospital, right, where the IDF says it found weapons in a basement, RPGs. This is what we're looking at footage of right now. Uh, RPGs, improvised IEDs, bulletproof vests, and AK-47s. Uh, that they say they found those there. They took reporters there to show them today. Um, they also say that there was a room that they believe uh, may have held hostages, and even provided for Hamas to make video of hostages, hostage videos. Um, and, uh, you know, again, we're looking at the footage uh, that we have of that from today. What do you see in these images? What do you take away from what uh, the IDF says this is? Well, again, in this case, it does appear uh, that the, uh, the uh, Hamas has used areas, including uh, basements, for the storage of weapons as command facilities, possibly hostages. And this really goes along with a tactic that Hamas has done, not just now, but over the last couple of years. It has used civilians as human shields. It has put weapons and fighters in ambulances. It's almost begging the Israelis to conduct uh, these kinds of attacks hmm. in and around uh, civilian centers like hospitals so that it can use that for its propaganda purposes. So this has been a pretty deliberate significant and consistent practice from uh, groups like Hamas. So now the U.S. forces, I just heard Alex Marquardt say that there are two dozen American forces in the Middle East who, because of this conflict in Gaza, have suffered traumatic brain injuries because of uh, strikes from Iranian-backed forces, uh, 50 injured, but t two dozen of them with traumatic brain injuries, right? Your life, your life is altered because of that. At least 52 attacks we know of uh, so far against U.S. and coalition forces over the past few weeks. Seth, when it comes to a military perspective, an escalation, as I want to emphasize, for these people injured, traumatic brain injuries, this adds up to a change in their life. For this conflict, is this escalation uh, or is it chatter? Well, I think the conflict in the region is moving up the escalation ladder. We have not seen the levels of violence we saw, for example, in the 1980s, where uh, we saw the attack against the U.S. Marine barracks and we saw hundreds of casualties. But we are creeping up that escalation ladder where we're now seeing both sides striking 
each other's targets. And the, the thing that's particularly concerning, Alex mentioned this a little bit, is the amount of standoff weapons that uh, Hezbollah has, Iranian-linked group have in Syria and is in Iraq as well, is significant, well over 100,000 that could be shot at Israel itself and also that could strike U.S. Uh, targets in places like Iraq and Syria. So if we keep creeping up this escalation ladder, there is a lot of violence that could happen. Mm. All right, Seth, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you. And next, we have some breaking news on the domestic front. One of Trump's former attorneys telling prosecutors in Georgia on tape that she was informed that Trump was, quote, not going to leave the White House despite losing the election. He said the boss uh, is not going to leave under any circumstances. We are just going to stay in power. You'll see that in just a moment. Plus the battlegrounds. It is our new series with John King at his magic wall. The places, the issues, they're going to decide who wins the next presidential election. And we've got breaking news this hour. The House is about to vote on moving forward with impeaching the Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. We'll be live on the House floor. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi Strawberry slid right into my taste buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. Breaking news, ABC News obtaining videos connected to the first plea deals in the Fulton County 2020 election interference case. And these are something to see, including former Trump campaign lawyer Jenna Ellis. She recounts a late 2020 conversation with Trump top aide Dan Scavino. Dan Scavino, you know, ran his Twitter account, was very, very close uh, with Trump. She says Scavino told her that Trump would never leave the White House despite losing the election and losing multiple legal challenges. Here's what she said. He said um, to me in a kind of excited tone, well, we don't care and we're not going to leave. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, the boss, meaning President Trump, and everyone understood the boss. um, That's what we all called him. Um, He said the boss uh, is not going to leave under any circumstances. We are just going to stay in power. And I said to him, well, it doesn't quite work that way, you realize. And he said, we don't care. I mean, it's pretty incredible, right? I mean, just the people so close to Trump that just bought into this. 
One day after that interview, Ellis pleaded guilty in the Fulton County case, admitting that she pushed false election fraud claims and now regrets representing Donald Trump. Trump's lead counsel in the case told ABC that the, quote, purported private conversation as described by Ellis was, quote, absolutely meaningless. ABC says Scavino has not yet commented. Out front now, Ryan Goodman, our out front legal analyst, and Jack O'Donnell, former president and chief operating officer of the Trump Plaza Hotel and Casino. Um, and, and this is obviously that we just played, Ryan, it was a day before her guilty plea. Sidney Powell, also instrumental in that, um, spoke as well. I'm going to play that in a moment. But first, Jenna Ellis, after that, uh, agreed to cooperate and testified as part of her plea deal. Now, just that's the clip that's been released. How significant then is she? It uh, looks like she can be very significant. She's adding something that's golden evidence for prosecutors both in Georgia and in D.C., potentially. In which the special is, counsel. In the special counsel, which is they don't have to prove this, but if they can show that Trump knew he lost and was still going to try to hold on to power, that's it. Like, that's game over, and that's exactly what she says is the context of the conversation. She is telling Dan Scavino, it's essentially over. We just lost the major Supreme Court case on December 11th, and he says back, doesn't matter. We're staying in power. We don't care. That's right. We don't care. We're staying in power. I mean, loud and clear. All right. So, Jack, on this, ABC also obtained video of Sidney Powell's interview with Fulton County investigators. And I should note, she also uh, pleaded guilty as part of a plea deal. She says multiple Trump White House lawyers, multiple, told Trump that he lost the election, right? This whole point that we kept honing in on for so long, right? Did people really tell him? Did he really know? She said multiple people told him he lost. And here is how she said Trump responded to that. Here's the clip. What was um, President Trump's reaction when, I guess, this cadre of advisors would say you lost? It was like, uh, well, they would say that and then they'd walk out. And he'd go, see, this is what I deal with all the time. She throws her hands up in the air. I guess it, it seems Jack is mimicking uh, the former president. But she says they walked in, multiple of them, then they'd walk out after telling him he lost. And he goes, see, this is what I deal with all the time. Uh, does this sound like the Trump that you know? Well, it is the Trump that we know, Aaron. Um, you know, he just, you know, refuses to believe bad news, number one. And then, as we all know, he lives in an alternate world when it comes to to the law. You know, he, he believes that he's above the law on, on everything. And so it, it really doesn't matter to him the significance of, 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 a, of a peaceful transition of power or whether it's something in his business. If he doesn't believe in the law, he just ignores it. Um, but it's absolutely Trump. And nothing that uh, Sidney Powell said surprises me. I mean, both of those, though, Ryan, and I mean, obviously, they're putting out clips that are, you know, make a very clear point. Uh, they're, they're bad for Trump. Yeah. Uh, it comes on a day uh, in the Trump org fraud trial um, that was was not great. The defense calls Don Jr. So he's already been called by the prosecution, called by the defense to testify again. And Team Trump fights today. They want to use a PowerPoint presentation, a very specific one um, about the Trump org, uh, even though it has things in it that are not true. They actually wanted to put it into evidence of uh, the senior editor of Forbes, Dan Alexander, uh, you know, who, who we, we know, we have him on a lot. He said the presentation said 40 Wall Street was 72 stories. This is the PowerPoint presentation they wanted in court. Um, it's 63, according to the SEC and NYC tax documents. Um, the presentation said it was directly across from the New York Stock Exchange. Um, I remember where I worked at the New York Stock Exchange for a while. It's not. Um, so did this look bad for Team Trump to put in a PowerPoint that they were showing people <laughs> that was false? Absolutely. And the prosecutors also pointed out some other inconsistencies. And all of them 
go to one particular thing, which is all an inflation of Trump's assets and the supposed uh, value of those right. assets. A taller building, a better location. Yes, uh, and right. higher levels of occupancy of the building as well. So it's first, it's just it's bad for them because it means that their evidence is unreliable. They can't be relied on for their defense. But it's worse in the sense that the very presentation at trial is what they are being prosecuted for, which is inflating his assets. It's all skewed in one direction. It's not just clumsiness, like, oh, sometimes it was higher, sometimes it was lower. Every time Don Jr. is testifying with this presentation that they must have thought about long in advance, it's all skewed in favor of his father, suggesting even greater wealth. And Jack, this is something that you lived and breathed. I mean, and when it came to 40 Wall Street, we just talked about how they exaggerated its height and and were not honest about its actual location. Don Jr. testified that occupancy for 40 Wall Street was... Um, higher than nine, higher than ninety percent. Turns out it's seventy-seven percent. Um, but he had testified it was higher than ninety percent. And to, to Ryan's point, I mean, this is a this is this seems to be standard operating procedure for this family. I mean, here's an example from my documentary on the Trump War when they talked about how many units they've sold of a business. We have projects all over the world that are incredibly successful and that are virtually sold out. So from Hawaii to Toronto to Istanbul. Bankruptcy papers filed for the Toronto property years later told a very different story. Years after it opened, they still had three quarters of the units that had never been sold, just sitting empty. Virtually sold out, Jack, uh, and the reality was nearly three quarters of the units were empty, um, and and, and that was the the reality when they had to file for bankruptcy. Uh, You've lived and breathed this. Is this this who they are at their core? Aaron, it's it's form over substance always, and it also shows just a complete lack of discipline within the organization that they'll look at a flashy uh, presentation and be wowed by that and won't even look at the numbers. They can't even take the time to do that. It is, um, you know, it's disgusting. And that, you know, from a businessman's standpoint, but, you know, the the problem with the culture there, Aaron, is even if they had a 90% occupancy rate, I promise you they'd be saying they had a 98% occupancy rate. You know, it is just how they function. And they can't, you know, they can't help themselves. So they're always going to be lying. All right. Well, thank you both very much. Next, do you remember this? And I would hope that we would give to women in this country the right to make that decision. Why that message didn't work 35 years ago, but now is suddenly resonating. John King at the Magic Wall to our our new series, The Battlegrounds. Plus an out front investigation tonight. China is now trying to silence people on American soil with sobering threats. They told me they will kill me if I don't delete my uh, YouTube. Tonight, riding the momentum, Democratic Congresswoman Abigail Spanberger announcing she is running for Virginia governor a week after Democrats won control of both houses of the state legislature. What drove many voters was protecting abortion rights, which, which Spanberger today put front and center. While some politicians in Richmond focus on banning abortion in books, what they're not doing is helping people. It's about focusing on recruiting and retaining teachers so all of our kids can succeed and stopping extremists from shredding women's reproductive rights. 
Well, throughout this election, we're going to take a closer look with John King at the places and the issues that will decide this election. And tonight's battleground is the suburbs, where this fight for abortion rights is right now playing out. And John King, of course, is at the magic wall. So, John, you know, Abigail Spanberger there um, launching, uh, launching her bid for governor, wasting no time making it clear what her issues are right at the core issues that Glenn Youngkin had made his. She's on the other side. Uh, of them. And she believes that there's a clear reason for this, not only in Virginia, but across the country. Uh, She's right at the moment. Look at the results this year. Look at the results last year. The abortion issue for Democrats is like the lighthouse. It's the light turning in the lighthouse saying, come to safe haven. This is where you should drive your boat because this is where it is safe. Let me just show you. This is the 2020 presidential map, but Spanberger's congressional district is here. It's Prince William County. It's Stafford County, Caroline County, Right down in here, right? North Central Virginia, a lot of suburban areas. The Democrats, in taking back the House of Delegates, they kept the Senate and they took back the House of Delegates. A huge story in Virginia just one week ago. They picked up two House of Delegates seats right here that overlap her district. They did that by running on abortion rights. So Spanberger says it worked last week. Maybe for me it will work in 2025 is when that governor's race is. And But the, the current evidence, who knows what 2025 will show, but the current evidence says, why not? Let's look at just 2023. Just again, one week ago tonight, what happened? Andy Bashir reelected in dramatic fashion. We thought this would be a very close race, right? Andy Bashir winning huge. Look at all this red out here, the suburbs around Frankfurt, around Lexington, up here critically important, the Cincinnati, Ohio suburbs that are in northern Kentucky. Look closely at this map. Look at all this blue. This is the 2020 presidential election. It's just three years ago. That's all Donald Trump. That's all Donald Trump. Andy Bashir, sure, he was the incumbent governor, but he ran on a big issue that Daniel Cameron would take away, further restrict abortion rights. It helped. Was it everything? No, but it helped. And it's not just this governor's race. Let's go back. There were initiatives on the ballot, right? Let's come to the state of Ohio. Again, a, Trump, a state Trump won by eight points, Aaron. Look up here. The Cleveland suburbs, the Akron suburbs, the Youngstown suburbs, the Toledo suburbs, the Columbus suburbs. The abortion issue drives voters to the polls. I'll give you just one example. Lake County. Come up here. This is Lake County, a relatively Republican suburb, strong Republican suburb outside of Cleveland. The abortion initiative, yes, there should be a constitutional right to get 60 percent of the vote. Donald Trump got 56 just three years ago. So you have places where Republicans are winning voting for abortion rights. So if you're a candidate, Why not? Why wouldn't you? And it's not just this year, of course. If you went back last year and you looked at what happened in Kansas, the first vote after Dobbs, the suburbs, the the suburbs just across the river from Kansas City, Missouri, in Kansas City, Kansas, Topeka, Lawrence, Manhattan suburbs there. And then if you didn't believe Kansas, Michigan came after that, closing out 2022 with another one in the suburbs. Aaron, who knows if it lasts into 2024 and 2025. But if today, if you're a Democrat, that should be your beacon because... The recent Hmm. evidence is it works. Absolutely. It's interesting, though, you say today and and we'll see whether it happens. And I I know that that comes in part from in the past. It wasn't always this way, right? It wasn't too long ago uh, that whenever you had a Democratic effort to court suburban voters with the abortion issue, it was it it was a failure. Uh, Times have changed and the suburbs have changed. So let's go back through it. Uh, You mentioned campaigns of long ago. You showed in the tease Governor Dukakis from the 1988 campaign. Uh, That was my first presidential campaign. This is my 10th. So nine campaigns ago, Michael Dukakis, look at this. He got thumped, right? He only won 10 states. Think about how much things have changed. He won West Virginia. Michael Dukakis, the Democrat, won West Virginia. And he won it by pretty good, by five points. If you look at it, Democrats did not do well in the suburbs in those days. They did well with blue-collar voters. Michael Dukakis tried. He looked at a place like Pennsylvania, right? George W. Bush didn't win it by a lot. George H.W. Bush, 51 to 48. But 
Dukakis tried here. He knew the suburbs would matter. He wanted to turn out Democrats, swing the suburbs. How did he do it? He said, George H.W. Bush will take away your rights. So... But isn't the real question that we have to answer not how many exceptions we make, because the vice president himself is prepared to make exceptions. It's who makes the decision. And I would hope that we would give to women in this country the right to make that decision. But Aaron, it didn't work. Look, Bucks County, just outside of Philadelphia, Dukakis loses, Bush gets 60%. Then you move around the collar, Montgomery County, H.W. Bush gets 60%. Delco, Delaware County, 60%. Why? Remember those Willie Horton ads? George H.W. Bush ran on crime. Dukakis ran on abortion in those days, not just in Pennsylvania, in Michigan as well. The crime issue trumped the abortion issue, perhaps because, remember, George H.W. Bush, he supported abortion rights. He switched and was anti-abortion to get on the ticket with Ronald Reagan. Roe was still on the books. A lot of voters think he did, thought he didn't mean it. Didn't work for Dukakis back then. Now I want to fast forward. I just want to fast forward to 2004, another Massachusetts Democrat, John Kerry. At this point, Aaron, you're beginning to see the suburbs shift. Look at Pennsylvania. I just showed you George H.W. Bush winning the suburban caller around Philadelphia. Well, John Kerry did then, just barely. The suburbs were just starting to trend blue, 51% in Bucks County, 55% in Montgomery County, 57% in Del Delaware County. So that one was moving faster. John Kerry, again, like Dukakis, said, I need another state or two. I need to win the suburbs. Abortion. There's a burden that falls more and more on women. Because as we all know, as my wife often reminds me, women, where women's rights are just that, rights, not political weapons to be used by politicians in this nation. There's evidence is it did help some, Evan, but think about how much times have changed. George, H, George W. Bush won re-election because of Ohio, just barely. What was on the ballot this year, remember, it was a constitutional amendment to put abortion rights in the Constitution. Then it was a constitutional amendment to ban same-sex marriage in 2004. Right. And it turned out those conservatives and Bush won. Right. And of course, you got to wonder whether Democrats, and I'm sure they're looking at the, uh, the battleground states to see whether they can put abortion on there. And some of these, maybe they wish they hadn't uh, <clears throat> played that card so quickly. But to that point, it's clear uh, that abortion is a problem for Republicans in the suburbs, but it's not just about abortion, is it? Not just about abortion, but it's about, as these big changes have happened, why? Who is it? How'd they get there? Look at these two counties I've talked about a lot tonight. Back in 1990, just after the 88 election, Loudoun County was just emerging as a suburb. 87,000 people then. Look, Aaron, 420,000 people now. Bucks County, already an established suburb then, 543,000 people then, up to 646,000 people now. So growing, but nowhere near at the speed of Loudoun County. Now, it's not just the growth, it's who's moving in. Take a look at the diversity changes here. Loudoun County back in 1990 was 88% white. It is now 54% white. Bucks County was 94% white then. It hasn't changed as much, only 83% white. So you, but you do see the Democrat, bigger population, more diversity, that trends it Democratic. But here is the one thing, Aaron, if you're looking for one reason, why is this suburb red? Why is this suburb lean blue? Why is this suburb bright blue? Look at this. Education is now the dividing line in American politics, and you see it in the suburbs. 38% on average in any county in America, people have at least a bachelor's degree or higher. In Bucks County, it's 44%, higher than the national average, so it leans blue. In Loudoun County, Aaron, it is 65%, way above the national average, which means it is ruby blue. All right, John King, thank you very much. And next, he was one of only eight Republicans who voted to oust Kevin McCarthy as speaker. 
And now a new speaker is facing the same threat of shutdown. Ken Buck is out front next. And the Chinese government is going after people in the United States who are in the United States just because they're criticizing China. This is an out front investigation tonight. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. Celebrities of all kinds are speaking publicly about their therapeutic trips, so to speak. It turns out there is a burgeoning industry ready to serve the new influx of people who find themselves turning away from traditional mental health therapy. The gap between what we know and what we don't about psychedelic therapy. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. Breaking news, House Democrats have effectively killed a Republican attempt to impeach the Homeland Security Committee Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. House Democrats maneuvering to send Republicans' attempts to impeach Mayorkas to the Homeland Security Committee, which essentially kills the effort. Republicans campaigned heavily on promises to impeach Mayorkas over his handling of the U.S.-Mexico border situation. Out front now, Republican Congressman Ken Buck, he voted with Democrats to send this back to the committee. And Congressman, I very much appreciate your time. Why did you vote with Democrats on this one? Because uh, Secretary Mayorkas has not committed an impeachable offense. Um, I disagree strongly with how he's handling the border. I think the border is porous. I think it's a, a, a threat to this country. Um, but it's not a high crime or misdemeanor. It's not treason. It's not uh, bribery. It's not the, the uh, crimes, the, the issues that our founders set forth in the Constitution. And it's wrong. We're, we're using impeachment in the last five, six years um, uh, you know, in, in, in a way that's just inappropriate and, and it demeans uh, really the integrity of the House. Um, you were obviously one of very few Republicans who, who took that stand. Um, and, and I know, obviously, uh, Congressman, you come with this, come to this conclusion after a lot of thought, because I know you confronted Secretary Mayorkas when he appeared before the Judiciary Committee last year, and you talked about how your constituents felt about impeachment. Here's what you said then. My constituents want you impeached because they believe you've committed treason. They believe you're a traitor. They compare you to Benedict Arnold. So that's what your constituents wanted. Obviously, you don't believe that yourself. You feel very differently. Um, but how do you explain to them well, I guess what you just explained to me, why you thought that was the right thing to do instead of what maybe your constituents would have wanted. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a constitutional issue. And, and if we don't follow the rule book, we really demean ourselves and we demean the integrity of this institution. And I, I feel really strongly about that. I, I didn't vote for the first Trump impeachment or the second Trump impeachment. I'm not sure I would have voted for the Clinton impeachment. Um, it, it is really, it's a, it's a drastic action to take and it's inappropriate in this situation. We are, of course, just five days away, I can't believe I'm saying this, Congressman, from another government shutdown deadline. Uh, Speaker Mike Johnson has proposed a two-tier plan that does not include spending cuts. Now, at least eight Republicans have said publicly that they'll oppose it, and obviously he can only afford to lose four of them uh, unless he gets enough Democrats on board. Do you support his plan? I have not made a decision at this point. I'm actually leaving this interview and I'm going over to the House Freedom Caucus meeting where Speaker Johnson is meeting with the House Freedom Caucus to talk through things. I'm not sure the bill is going to be the same tomorrow as it is today. And uh, I want to just keep my powder dry at this point. But I appreciate what Mike's trying to do, and that is to get more appropriations bills passed. We are now looking at, at the end of next year, $36 trillion of debt. Moody's has just downgraded U.S. Yep. bonds. It's
It's a very serious situation. Well, it is a very serious situation. There's no question about it, and one that neither party has has frankly taken seriously enough when it comes to getting in power. There's just a lot of spending that happens, um, regardless of whether a D or an R is by someone's name. Um, but I, I guess what I'm asking you, and I know you have the, the maybe a different thought about this now that you're not running for re-election. Do you believe that, I mean, would you be okay to vote to support something if basically <laughs> you're, 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 you're going to be voting with a bunch of Democrats to support Speaker Mike Johnson? I mean, you just did it with Mayorkas. Are you willing to do it again on principle of working across party lines? I, I am absolutely willing to vote um, my conscience, to vote uh, based on what I believe is correct. And if uh, Democrats agree with me, great. If Republicans agree with me, great. I, I, I think that uh, if we don't have some uh, break on this spending spree, and you're absolutely right, this is a bipartisan bankruptcy. This is not just Republicans or Democrats, liberals or conservatives. This is bipartisan. It's gone on for years. It's, it's both uh, the White House and Congress that have engaged in this. Uh, it has to stop, and we have to take this more seriously. So if the Democrats want to join me on, on a vote, I absolutely will vote with the Democrats if we can get spending under control. All right. Congressman Buck, I appreciate your time. Thank you very much tonight, sir. Thank you. All right, and next, the outfront investigation we've been talking about the Chinese government harassing and threatening to kill people here in the United States just because they've criticized Beijing. That special report is next. Plus, stunning images tonight of a volcano sending lava and ash miles into the sky. Tonight, the Chinese government going after people on American soil. The threats against people the government deems are critics. They're come as President Biden and Chinese President Xi Jinping are set to meet in California. Donny O'Sullivan is here with an investigation that you'll see first out front. I feel really, really afraid. They use hateful words or threatening words. They will make life very uncomfortable for those who speak ill of China. They are here on American soil thousands of miles from Beijing, but still being hounded and harassed by the Chinese government. I was instantly flooded with messages asking me to kill myself. Her name is Jiayang Fan, a writer for The New Yorker. She's been targeted with a wave of online harassment since she covered pro-democracy protests in Hong Kong four years ago. More than 12,000 tweets calling her a traitor. I was caught so off guard and I wasn't sure if it was a coordinated um, effort. It is a coordinated effort of fake and anonymous accounts and it's called spamiflage. Depending on how you measure it, it's, it's the biggest disinformation campaign the world's ever seen. Professor Darren Linville from Clemson's Media Forensics Hub has tracked spamiflage for years, but it's only now been revealed that the vast disinformation campaign is tied to the Chinese government. Thousands and thousands of messages repeated over and over again. A CNN review of court documents, social media reports, and interviews with victims reveals a massive, relentless campaign of intimidation by the Chinese government, targeting people on U.S. soil. They told me they will kill me if I don't delete my uh, YouTube. Zhao Jinchu posts pro-democracy YouTube videos criticizing the Chinese government from his office here at this church in Virginia. To hit back, the Chinese trolls post thousands of messages attacking him. They cover people's eyes so the Chinese people cannot see the reality. A vast campaign of intimidation that even employs artists to create original illustrations to mock and harass its victims. 
This is not just some guy in his basement. No. I think it's, it's clearly a very sophisticated effort. I'm often staggered at the number of platforms where we come across their content. Some of the people behind Spamouflage are these Chinese police officers, according to the U.S. Department of Justice. The DOJ charged 34 Chinese police officers for using social media accounts to threaten, harass, and intimidate specific victims in the United States. The indictment is full of pictures allegedly taken from inside the special trolling unit, showing laptops, phones, and other equipment used as part of the operation. A spokesperson for the Chinese embassy in Washington, D.C. said the DOJ's allegations are politically motivated and have no factual evidence or legal basis. Yeah, they tried to shut me up. They tried to silence me, you know, to, to, to minimize my voice. Chen Po Kong spent nearly five years in a Chinese prison for his pro-democracy work. Now he's an American citizen and campaigns from here. They started to make noises, yelling, shouting. At the height of COVID in 2021, he organized a Zoom meeting for pro-Chinese democracy activists in the U.S. But Chinese police officers, part of Spamafage, broke into the Zoom and shut it down. That time I was myself even shocked. I said, what? The CCP don't even allow us to have a meeting, overseas meeting. The U.S. State Department has warned that the Chinese government is spending billions of dollars annually on foreign information manipulation efforts. And if it goes unchecked, it will reshape the global information landscape. A Communist Party's bloodstream is propaganda, repeating it over and over again and trying to get everyone to repeat that same point of view and reject alternatives. That's in the DNA of Communist parties. And Aaron, you know, we talk so much about these kind of troll groups and things like that, but what's remarkable there is, thanks to the U.S. Department of Justice, but also the work of Meta, formerly Facebook, uh, we have faces, uh, some Chinese police officers, people who go to work in Beijing every day, clock in, clock out, their job's not patrolling the streets, but it is uh, posting these messages online over and over and over again. Uh, you heard there just from Americans who really don't know what to do, where to turn, because what this Chinese campaign is doing, it is leveraging and exploiting freedom of speech in this country and the openness uh, of this society uh, to intimidate and, and, and target these people. It's pretty, it is incredible and incredible that they go to work every day in Beijing um, just, just to be able to, to do that. Incredible that you could be able to get those individuals to speak to you as well. All right, Doni. And next, bracing for what could be a dangerous eruption. Officials forcing towns to evacuate. You'll see next. Tonight, Mount Etna and Italy erupting in a mass of flaming lava, the lava launching miles into the sky, several towns on the island of Sicily covered in ash. It comes as the entire country of Iceland is on edge for a massive eruption that could come, officials say, at any moment. The famous Blue Lagoon is closed after a powerful earthquake rocked the geothermal uh, spa just days ago, which could be just a small sign, officials say, of what is to come. Thanks for joining us. AC360 starts now. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. 
Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.